warning to our listeners, this episode contains references to suicide. Episode 5 takes us to the High Court decision in Kozarov. Episode 5 challenges listeners to think about the highly confronting scenarios like child pornography and abuse. This is addressed because this is the reality of work for many people, including those who must analyse the complex nature of these life events and grapple with how legal circumstances are treated. But what is the impact of vicarious trauma? Sarah Pazell and Alan Girl. Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult thing when workers have uh, or develop a physical or psychological condition yes. that perhaps makes them more vulnerable at work than they were before they developed the condition. There's some opportunities to manage that. And if they take sick leave, then you have the opportunity to say uh, you can't come back to work until we have a medical certificate saying you're fit to return to work. If you just look at employment law generally, and even more so in the work health and safety space, there's no voluntary acceptance of risk. So you can't say the worker has voluntarily accepted that risk and they've decided to you know, work in that environment by accepting the risk. We do kind of work around it in other ways, but the practical reality is the employer has to cater for the employee. Indeed. And for work. No, and that's re- that leads me to the that most significant, and that's another High Court decision, the case of Kazarov, the experienced prosecutor, awarded damages, damages compensation because of being exposed to extended periods of child exploitation material in the ordinary course of her job. Um, it was it was heard, I think, earlier this year in, in the High Court. That case is a classic case. of It addresses all of those elements you're talking about, about good work design. For me, to know or ought to have known that after a while, this stuff can get very... I think, I think it's important to acknowledge too in that case that that particular prosecutor had revealed to her employer that, that she was struggling dealing with the material and was having an impact on her. Mm. But then, even acknowledging that point... That's the role of a prosecutor. Prosecutors look at difficult, difficult material all the time. How long and to what extent, Sarah? What would you do? So it's not like you're throwing in a first-year law student into this to to view this material. This is a seasoned, experienced worker, highly skilled, highly qualified, and more importantly, invested in the job, wanting to yeah. do it. But after a period of time, the worker says, "Hey, yeah, I'm not sure about this." What would you do as a good manager in terms of mental health? This is. This is so significant, so huge. Yeah. Before you answer that, in fact, the worker was so invested in the work that he kept shtum about feeling somewhat disturbed. In fact, didn't even want to tell you that, oh, you know, this, this, this is really taking a toll on me. What would a good manager in terms of designing that work? Like most things, and I'm going to sound like a lawyer here, it's complex, right? There's a lot of complexity around this because to try and understand what's the tolerance of threshold, you know, what's that threshold tolerance of somebody exposed to a hazard to the point where it erodes their resilience and their defences that they might be 
at risk for harm, or there could be a consequence of a suicide, a fatality. That's not even, you don't even think about probability at this point. Yeah, which there was in Victoria, involving another lawyer, which we'll get to in a tick, yeah, a suicide. Hits the front pages, right? So this comes also from my, let me go left wing here. This comes also from some of my yoga background, all right? Bear with me for a moment. Yeah, we're so, listening. <laughs> sometimes in yoga, we talk about trying to understand resilience and actually lower your threshold tolerance, right? Now, everyone talks about increasing your threshold tolerance, having more resilience, more resilience. But if we lower our threshold tolerances, we develop sensitivities and we start detecting things earlier to make a constructive change for the better. In healthcare or in the body, there's a term called allostasis. It's like lots of little homeostatic effects. You've heard that term homeostasis, your body regulates heart rate, vasodilation, constriction, how the vessels move, how the nerves flow. That's happening all the time in that interaction, that web of homeostasis is called allostasis, right? So I'm going to go to systems resilience and resilience engineering. They're always talking about, look how performance drifts, what's taking it away and what can reinforce good performance. Same thing in the human body, same thing now back to this case. If we lower our threshold tolerance, in other words, we start to learn how to identify something that can upset that earlier, we put in and design more detection systems, we might understand that, hey, even though this is a highly intelligent woman, somebody passionate about their work, somebody that wakes up and is driven and has meaning and purpose in their work, they also may, just because of that, be less likely to understand when it's affecting them. They may have blinkers on. So we need some intelligence of detection and even beyond detection, we need to already design rest and recovery breaks. And if we know that this job is higher risk, maybe we should understand that they only do episodes of that work and we require more breaks. That's great. Yeah, I think that one of the problems with that is um, that... uh, uh, just because a worker can identify that they're under stress doesn't mean that they'll stop doing the work. They may remain in the position and continue to stress themselves. And they may or may not identify that they're stressed. But if we know that the type of work or the environment could expose them to stressors, Mm -hmm. we might have to design for them and with them, right? If we share that idea, look, when you start doing this job, and if you're going to looking at look at really horrific images or stories that are told that for the average Joe would make us weep, right? <laughs> Just being exposed to this, we're gonna we're gonna help. We should have some information around this. We should have some knowledge about what we're asking people to do. For most people, this will erode your capabilities to cope. You might not even know what that looks like. You might just suddenly get irritable. You might find that you're not sleeping well and you may think it's something else, right? So we have to explain what are the symptoms around stress. So again, so that our detection becomes earlier, so that the conversations happen. We need to start creating a system of detection and and not just waiting for a problem, not just waiting for a symptom Mm. to arise. The other end, reinforce those types of strategies that will prop sustainable sustainable work so what's happening in the the work health and safety space is we're now talking about psychosocial hazards yep and the importance of that 
is that whereas to use the example of the DPP prosecutor, she brought a civil claim for compensation, but now with the changes in the work health and safety space and the introduction of psychosocial hazards, there could be a prosecution. So DPP could be prosecuted for not creating a safe environment for the workers. Theoretically, that could have always happened, but now we're much more focused on those types of things. See, I'll throw it back on management. Good managers will pick up on things, and good managers means good mental health. It is a challenge, though, because we're talking about cumulative exposures, not a single single instance, not a just fall from a building, not being just collided with a a truck, you know. Um, You're talking about cumulative exposures that over time erode your capabilities. And that's hard even in the physical space. You talk about, you know, uh, whether or not lifting boxes overhead, as you talked about earlier. Uh, you know, can create an injury. Well, it doesn't maybe the first day and doesn't over yeah. the first week, doesn't over three months, right? Yeah. It depends on that exposure over time. So psychological exposures over time, really, really challenging but, uh, to understand yeah. at what point That's someone it. can cope and no longer cope. And yeah. it's not like you're going to have lawyers, I'm imagining, who are highly specialised in addressing child abuse cases that are ready and waiting on a production line to step into that job the minute that person has to sign off. The case It's, just it's not just lawyers, though. You see the same problems with accountants, and, of course, yes. we've had some media on this recently. Yes. I won't talk about that one because... Uh, It hasn't been before the courts yet, but it's been all over the front page. No, I'm throwing this back on management. There is a rich body of data for PCBUs to identify at what point has a worker, including an experienced worker, reached a threshold to say, I know that you're very competent and very experienced in this high-level work. We're going to put you in another unit or we're going to have a roster or rotation. Here you're talking about interpreting the experience of others that's been traumatic is that vicarious trauma. Yeah, indeed. So, so no matter what, I, I, yeah. I, I'm agreeing with you that the employer should have some yeah. understanding that trauma-exposed performance is significant. Yeah. Trauma can erode performance. Yeah, and it's there's more and more yeah. about this trauma informing our practice. So even in in you know my base studies, we learn about people and environments and organizations or occupations and their performance, right? And how that might occur even in the best of circumstances. And then infused in that, you've got this element of trauma. So when there's a a moment of trauma, there has to be a lot of attention. I'll use that again. We want to lower our threshold tolerance. We want to be aware when trauma can occur real early. So we have a lot of detection, but before that, a lot of management systems where maybe you don't even have to get to the point of detection, right? Do that. Yeah. How do you do that? You want to from be inventive. Home? I get that if you're in the office and indeed. not just preventive. The word I'm using is inventive, right? All right. Continually recognizing you need to create good systems of work around that. I think okay. in terms of vicarious trauma, you can probably manage that regardless where the person works, yep. because you know what the work task is, and you should be able to work out what potential there is for vicarious trauma arising out of the work task. Because I'm a lawyer opening a case and seeing looking at photographs and looking at photographs yeah. and seeing, yes. Uh, let, let's extrapolate. You're not in your office. You're 80 kilometres out of your office because your employer has allowed you to work from home. It's part or of the your hotel room. 
or a hotel room, work anywhere, <laughs> anywhere anytime, any place. And indeed, you're spending, train. you're so consumed, you're so obsessed by the nature of the work that you spend 16 hours watching that. I've really got to watch these, um, this appalling footage. I've really got to do this. But you're not in the office where, you know, Alan, you can walk past and go, ah, we're going, that the building's going to be closed. You're away and the most, um, the worst thing occurs and that work is suicides. Well, today, employers should take it very seriously if one of their workers commits suicide and regardless of where they commit suicide, then they should investigate to see what the circumstances behind that are because it could be work-related and there's a very good chance work had some connection in with their decisions. Um, it's you, you, We're no longer able to say, well, that's a personal issue for them uh, involving their personal matters. I think we need to take that very seriously. It gets more complex if the self-harm is not as severe as suicide. You can get you know, eyes into drinking and Yeah, yeah, excessive drinking, right. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's a great example. So if you... If you've got a worker who is working 16 hours at home and they, for the last four hours of those 16 hours, they're drinking while they work. Binge drinking. They want to get the Or they just continuously drink while they're working. You know, that's an issue now that employers have to think about. If I cast my mind back to when I first joined the workforce, that was considered a a way of coping was Mm. to drink, uh, particularly for prosecutors. Um, But now, no, that's uh, completely unacceptable, of course. The whole sales person's story, right? Mm. We're in the office. expected. But we're in the office. We're sort of keeping an eye on each other. There's part of that that you said earlier on, checking in, keeping an eye on uh, on people. But you're not. You're in a hotel room or you're you're on site or, or you're just simply working from home, but you're putting in those 16 hours. You're doing all that work. What would be a good strategy to um, to stop, essentially, or prevent that worker from from doing that? I think you can you can also pick simpler examples that are maybe more tangible. If you've got a worker who's working from home and you know that they're sitting in a couch all day instead of at a, a suitable chair, mm. then uh, you, you've got a problem. And if you haven't asked the question, "What's your work mm. environment like?" Uh, then you really have a problem. And then I've done the webinar explaining to everybody to get up and walk and move, and they move like trash. Walk the dog and get a bee sting. Yeah, well, it's very celebrities. Very But you to see, you know, and that's the thing. And it could be my thing during the lunch break. But is that in itself an unreasonable thing? So to have a ten-minute break. Trash. If your employer's listening, you'll have instructions Monday morning. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so this, this lawyer, right? So this so lawyer. Instructions will be don't, 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 don't get stung by a bee. No. <laughs> so this lawyer is exposed to really offensive yep. material for most people. Really confronting. Yeah. Material dark right? web, the most appalling of the appalling. So, are you supposed to be on a rotation schedule? I know that's hard for legal cases because you build your expertise, your specialty by knowing the stuff inside and out. But you know, you ask, the ask the question. You know, you start to do that design discovery. Could it be done? Can we imagine work in another way? That's why I say good work design is not about prevention; it's invention. So we start asking, if this is objective wellness, and you also want people to try.
We hope you enjoyed that episode of Why Work. You've been listening to Trage, Sarah and Alan. And if you'd like to know more about some of the things we've talked about today, please subscribe and we'd be more than happy to provide you with names of cases and other things that may interest you. Please be aware that none of the matters we've talked about today should be construed as legal advice or any other type of advice. We're just here to talk about all things related to work. See you next time.